Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soschnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we speak with founder of Athletic Intelligence Measures, Scott Goldman. But first, let's get to the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi-Williams. Oh, you guys did this because y'all love me. Yes, it's the Tigres. <laughs> Tigers and Royals, they'll play before the 2019 College World Series. Now, what's the purpose of this bar? Because they're the Tigers, that's why. Well, they're trying, to, like, <laughs> Got it. they're trying to appeal to a younger audience, so that means the College World Series. So if I want to appeal to the younger audience and there's a Tiger involved, it's Tony the Tiger. I'm not sure if it's, if it's Fidrich, Trammell, and those boys, and Lafleur, if you will, thank you very much. I'm proud of you. Man. Thomas Sullivan Magnum. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm really struggling why they're doing this because, and this is why, those are baseball fans already. If you are attending the College World Series, you like baseball. Odds are every single person in that stadium has a favorite big league team, has a hat, they go to games, they what whatever. They're already fans of baseball. You need to attract young, new fans. Does this do that? I would argue that this is, it's all, I mean, you're right. The, the part of this is attracting non- younger fans, a synergy between college and professional baseball. Uh, another part of this is kind of like what we see with the NHL and and the, 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 the winter games, the winter classic games, right? Just creating some kind of property that is refreshing. But that's, just, that's just about it's, spectacle. It's a different setting. This this will have some spectacle aspects to so? it also. Absolutely. Oh, it's a baseball stadium. In the same way that baseball is planning those games in Williamsport for the, for the Little League World Series, right? It's the same kind of thing. Having a baseball game that is not your standard, one team travels to another team's home stadium to have a game, is going to have some kind of traditional new smaller stadium it's a 24,000 seat stadium there, there's going to be something new around this kind of like what the NHL did with the winter classic I, I'm down on that take because that's just about casual sports fans hear about the NHL winter classic and the outdoor games and they see the stadium and they're like oh that's kind of cool and they take note of it I don't see casual sports fans looking even a smaller stadium and go it'll look like a baseball game you know it'll do it let him use the metal bats. Let him, yeah, yeah. You, yeah pitcher dies with line drive <laughs> off face. Yeah, let him use the metal bats. Moving right along, Jay Z joins Puma. Now, th- this one I like. This is an interesting story because you've got the Yeezys and Adidas. Adidas is suddenly cool, and Kanye is one of the big reasons why. Jay Z joins as creative director. Eben, you're you know you're one of the young hip cool guys, right? Does this make you think that perhaps you would go and buy what Jay-Z says is cool more than what Kanye says is cool. But you see, you this this makes sense. Yeah, me. I saw this analogy online a couple of days ago, equating this to to a surprise album drop. You know, that's yeah. a, something that Jay-Z fans <laughs> I can didn't obviously see this uh, can relate to. Puma did a lot of things at once. They signed some of the top players that are going to be drafted uh, this week. They added Clyde Frazier uh, as, as a lifetime endorser, a guy who endorsed Puma decades ago when they were still in the basketball game. They was a pop-up shop in Brooklyn uh, that no one knew about uh, that came out kind of right as this was happening. And of course, the staple signing, uh, Jay-Z, to be the creative director. All of those things coming together the week of the NBA draft was a very clever marketing play. The right time and way to launch Michael a Michael Barr in Detroit at a certain time 
Clyde Frazier leaning on the Rolls Royce with the fur jacket. Was there anybody cooler than Clyde? Diamond in the back, sun yeah. rooftop. The, yeah. Digging the scene with Thank a gangster lead. There nice. we go. That I mean, that uh, that is that I couldn't believe that like Puma didn't use that more often. Like Clyde should be front and center always. He's the epitome of cool. Speaking of not cool, our next topic. <laughs> no, no, let's have, the, let's have fun with this. Don't judge. <laughs> the U.S. Open ball people will roll, not throw balls this year. I, Are we doing this really? Yeah, yeah I, you got to explain this. Eb, all right, here, well, let's explain. Ready? <laughs> Eben didn't want to do the story. I saw it. It just came across. <laughs> and I'm like, here is here is my, my measuring stick. If you were on... The bar stool, no pun intended. You're sitting on a bar stool next to your buddy at lunch today. Would you tell him or her, did you see what the U.S. Open is doing? Did you? Would you discuss this? No. No. Really? Am I wrong on this? I think this is so funny. I would talk to all my friends about this and say, what are they doing? Everybody's seen the tournament where the ball goes to the baseline and they throw it to the other baseline. The U.S. Open has decided that they want a more diverse athlete and they're going to roll the ball across the court instead of throwing it. Can't you just see where it goes awry and it's going to like a little to the left, a little to the right, it hits the net. This is this is, just doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's crazier to me. The fact that they're doing this with the intention of getting a more diverse athlete crowd. They want to... Yeah, they talked about the, All the people out there who are afraid that they can't throw a ball across a tennis court can now apply, whereas in the past they haven't. Um, and they said there's like 80 slots and 500 people are trying out anyway. Yeah, and there's always news stories every year, you know, about about uh, they send a reporter who, who goes undercover yeah, 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 yeah. To, to, to go who through the process. Who can't throw the ball to the other side? Who I is mean, this? There, there are people that can't. I am also shocked that they would even publicize this... Like just do it, right? Just do <laughs> just, it. Yeah, yeah, just just change it for the five hundred people. Saying, why are they rolling time? the ball? Yeah, um, story. Apparently, it's the only of the of the four majors that requires a ball to be thrown. Everybody else rolls. So the U.S. Noticed. Open, the U.S. Open is getting uh, in line with all the other majors. But you know, there's the tagline. It's how we roll. <sighs> Thank you. I hope they still sell those huge, you know, the huge balls. The huge Hard, harder to other. throw. Harder, yeah. but easier to roll. Much easier to roll. Much easier to roll. Now that so, we're done with our we long had fun, We had segment. fun with that, and people are going to say, "What? Wait, did you hear what you what I heard on Bloomberg?" <laughs> thank you. Our thanks, and I'm not kidding. I thank you to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi Williams. You can follow him on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. Needs to change that. <laughs> All right, Scott. Now. Let's get into this week's interview. Scott Goldman, founder of Athletic Intelligence Measures, a company that specializes in mental analytics. Essentially, they put athletes through tests that analyze things like decision-making, learning efficiency, visual, spatial processing, etc. They work with six NBA teams, five NFL teams, MLB and NHL teams, eSports military special forces etc uh you know mr big bar with all the research they found statistical markers they believe are best indicators of success on the field let's say in the nfl for example defensive backs if they have the fastest visual spatial decision making that means more interceptions and they also have tested a lot of the top nba draft prospects thank you so much scott for joining us no it's an honor to be here thank you i hope it's just mental analytics and not gymnastics because i am not (laughs) i am not prepared for this <laughs> totally different skill set for sure. Well, I got to ask, what is it first of all? What tell me what you guys do? Yeah, so um, intelligence in its truest form is one's ability to acquire, process, and apply information. So a lot of times you'll hear um, announcers or, or fans or, or 
you know, anyone who's talking about sports will say, oh, this person's got a great basketball IQ or this person's got a great football IQ. And in reality, what they're really describing is knowledge, which is kind of like knowing the right answer to the test. But intelligence is how you go about doing that. So if you think of sports as an unsolvable puzzle, um, which is what it is, which is why I think we're all so entertained by it. It's the ultimate reality TV. Um, intelligence is just one of those components that we can use to help try to get as close to the solution as possible, in addition to size, speed, and strength. Yeah, so are people wrong when they look at LeBron James and just say, well, he's just so big and strong and jump high. Of course, he's the best player. I look at him. I think he's making like a thousand micro calculations a second as he's bringing the ball up, like how hard to bounce the ball? What's the angle of the defense coming? How hard do I need to pass the ball? Is that the proper way to look at somebody like LeBron that really there's an intelligence factor there? Yeah, I mean, LeBron is, you know, I just always, whenever I talk about an individual, I always want to be clear. Um, I've never worked with LeBron. I've never met LeBron. Um, and if I had or if we did have some kind of working relationship, I wouldn't be able to disclose it. So I just always want to kind of honor that because though it's great to talk about an individual to use as an example, I also just want to be ethical in that manner. Um, going back to it, though, and as a fan and somebody who's worked in sports for the last 20 years, um, I can tell you LeBron is is absolutely some buddy who's special. And I think to your point, he really checks all the boxes. He's strong. He's fast. He's smart. He's knowledgeable. You know, we've never tested him, like I said, but it wouldn't surprise me just watching the things that he does, that he possesses some great um, cognitive assets. Give me a clue as what sorts of things you would test him for. What sorts of things would he be doing and what would it tell you? Yeah, so the AIQ, um, which is which is the measure that we invented, my partner and I, Jim Bowman, uh, who's a school psychologist in New York, so um, could, it's it's really a collaboration between the two of us. What we did was is, um, and, and I'm going to take kind of a, a roundabout way to get to your answer, but I promise I'll answer your question. I feel like I'm talking to my um, wife, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. You know, it, it, for us, it started in 1998, and the big debate was between Ryan, uh, Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning. And, not, and by the way, I wrote a column on this way back when, and I, I, I am, I guess it's on record. So anybody can go look at it. I said I would choose Ryan Leaf. <laughs> oh my! Whoops! <laughs> Nobody bats a thousand, and and you know, it's also possible that Ryan Leaf with better comprehension and, and, and a better environment around him uh, could have could have ended up with a much different result. I mean, that's that's the beauty of this stuff. And I think, it, again, it goes back to why we watch is we just don't know what's going to happen. Um, and that's a, that's a big part of what we're trying to do is we're just trying to help people make more well-informed and well-educated um, guesses. So going back to it, the debate was between Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning and to your point, most people were talking about Ryan Leaf's upside potential and physical uh, measurables, but they kept talking about Peyton Manning's intangibles and how he won. And so um, when I was in grad school at the time learning intelligence theory, I, I just was going, I wonder how they're measuring his intellect. And what I came up with was, I think there's a better mousetrap. So now answering your question, what are the things that we're looking for? 
We're looking for things like visual spatial processing, which is, you know, how you go about scanning the field and digesting that information. So knowing where you are in relation to space, key landmarks, imagine a wide receiver who's running a route. And and you'll hear this a lot sometimes where um, announcers, fans, coaches, they get really frustrated because the guy runs, uh, you know, a seven yard route, but he only, but he makes his cut at the five yard marker. And sometimes that's due to pressure and what the defense gives. And other times it's due because um, the wide receiver just didn't know where he was. Uh, another thing that we'll measure is reaction time, but our reaction time is a little bit, it's, it's a little bit more sophisticated than most because we don't just measure speed. We also measure accuracy as well as, um, how people do, uh, when distractions are present. And, and what we've noticed is with some of our major league baseball teams that, um, this really significantly correlates with things like batting average, slugging percentages, um, actual on-field performance, which makes sense because, as one manager once told me, the secret to hitting isn't swinging at a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. It's not swinging at an 87-mile-per-hour curve. Uh, another one of our components that we assess is decision-making, which goes to your point, it, you know, someone bringing the ball up the court and has to really scan the court for minute details and then make a, a, a quick and accurate decision of where and who to pass the ball to and then what trajectory and angles. And then the final one, which is our, our most universal property, is called learning efficiency, which is really the ability to download information and then recall it later. So um, that can be... How long does it take for you to get it on Thursday and then be able to successfully recall it on Sunday? Or you see something in the first quarter, can you remember what that was and what its meaning was in the fourth quarter? You work with five NFL teams, and the first thing that popped in my mind, and it's on track with what you were just saying, uh, involves the defense. Now, if you're covering the defense man-to-man, it's one thing. You've got, you know, that's pretty much simple. But if you're covering a zone defense, you've got to make a call very quickly. All right, I'm covering this guy, and all of a sudden, I might have to switch off and cover this guy in a hurry. And is that something you guys teach? That's that's right. I mean, well, it's something that we help explain. You know, um, sometimes you'll hear in pop psychology, like, know your why, know your why. And for us, it's really about knowing your how. So a lot of times what we're telling coaches – you know, general managers and the players themselves is we already know you're good. Like you wouldn't be in the space that you're at. And if, if you weren't good, we're just trying to figure out how. So that way we can coach more efficiently. We can put people in successful positions, minimize error, minimize frustration. And, and it, to your point, exactly. I mean, it's just the idea of why is it that this guy is always in the same is is always in the right place at the right time, and this other player is constantly making the same mistakes over and over again? And I think I think what we have been able to provide people is an explanation for that. And Scott, this is a business of sports show. I imagine with all the money at risk with college players, even high school age players, and large contracts that. Everybody's looking for that advantage. Do you find that the intelligence measure is gaining in importance and gaining in acceptance as the money grows? Yeah. So, um, honestly, you hit the nail on the head. I I would say with an emphatic. My work is done here. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Drop the mic. But, um, I mean, what I would say is, so I I was the director of performance and clinical psychology for the University of Arizona for eight years. I was the director of performance and clinical psychology for the University of Michigan for four years. And now I'm currently contracted as an employee for an NFL team. And I've served as a gatekeeper for all three of those entities. And, um, and, And what's been interesting is the amount of products and things that are out there they're making promises and they're kind of like uh, overselling, under-delivering, and, and, it, and it's really hard because what they discuss is not visible or tangible. And so I think the unfortunate reality is there's a lot of stuff out there that's, that's questionable in its nature and what, what its claims are. By contrast, and really where I wanted to go with it is, you know, the AIQ has found statistically significant correlation with on-field performance in the NFL and Major League Baseball. And to my knowledge, we're the only, we're the only product that I've discovered that does that. Um, and, and with real important stuff. So, for example, in the NFL, regardless of draft status, we have found higher AIQ scores in running backs statistically significantly correlates with rushing yards. And, and I think that's that's something that's notable and tangible because intelligence is a genetically stable trait um, and, and happens to also, according to the literature, be one of the greatest predictors of success. So I, I do see this as being the next frontier of, of ways to make a more well-educated guess when it comes to selection and how to really maximize talent. Okay, now that we've got this guy, how do we best put him in positions of success. Uh, We're currently working with NFL, NBA, MLS, NHL, and Major League Baseball. So we've got all five of the major leagues. We're also working with some uh, Power Five um, schools, colleges, universities, Olympic training facilities, and uh, also eSports. We have an active contract with an eSports team. I was just going to ask that. eSports is it's just one of the biggest things that's going on out there now. And, and I got to tell the story real quick. I'm watching my 13 year old son play Fortnite, And it was just a few days ago. And I'm yelling at the TV, just like a fan watching. This. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm just amazed how I'm hooked onto this. Esports is so many things involved. There's a lot of money out there from the uh, racing games on to the, the Fortnite. I, I mean, we can just go on. What do you do with esports? It's got to be a little different. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it is a little bit different, and yet at the same time, it's it's exactly the same thing. You know, when you're playing some of these games, you know, it, it is all based off of spatial awareness and pattern recognition and all these really kind of key elements. So, again, whether you're a quarterback scanning the defense trying to figure out where the hole is or if you're a sniper in, say, Call of Duty, you're still engaged in the same kind of process cognitively. So we found what was really interesting to us was we weren't really sure how the eSports athletes would compare to our elite sample because we've tested now over 4,000 elite athletes. And so it was really interesting to see, okay, how would these eSport athletes compare? Would they, you know, because they're more familiar with technology and electronics, theoretically, um, would they just completely bust up our, our curve? 
our database curve, or, or would they, because they're not elite athletes as we know them to be traditionally, i.e. the star quarterback, are they somebody who might be at the other end? And what we found was they fit beautifully into our, into our data set. They qualified just like, like any other athlete we've ever tested, which I thought was interesting. We're chatting with Scott Goldman. He's the founder of Athletic Intelligence Measures. Scott, how young is too young? Is there something like it's a waste of time to, to test an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old? Yeah, so um, intelligence does start to um, crystallize or stabilize at around age 16. So our test is developed for uh, ages 16 and older. However, we are um, in the works of creating a youth version. You know, one of the things that's trickier is youth development isn't uniform. So what you have to do is you have to set it in three-month increments. And and this kind of takes us a little bit into the weeds, but the nature of it is children grow at different paces, different speeds, and different levels. So in order to really have the intelligence be accurately recorded, whether you're using more traditional measures like you would in a school setting to identify giftedness or learning disability, you you have to make sure that you're capturing that intelligence accurately. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, what is for you, again, you're a business Having the big league clubs, that's great, but that's a finite set of people. The real scale here, I would think, would be youth sports. Uh, Our listeners know my son is a competitive hockey player, and there's some crazy parents on the sideline who will look for any and all advantage if they can find one. Yeah, and so, you know, it's funny because you talk about being a a businessman, and, and, and though I do consider myself, I am also a licensed psychologist, and I remember... During my training, I was once asked, which are you, business or psychologist? Uh, and, and I answered psychologist, and the person corrected me. They said, no, you have to be a good businessman first. Otherwise, your services will never be utilized or maximized. And it's funny because I've always wrestled with that dilemma because even though, to your point, I think we could scale with that youth version, and I think we could um, sell to eager and and hungry parents looking for competitive advantages, I'd also want to be real cautious about what's the purpose and utility. Because like anything else, um, technology is not treatment. And what you do with it really matters. And so I think what would be important to me is, you know, if, if these parents are trying to use it as a way to convince the coach to play their child or, you know, to enter it into that kind of dynamic that's less healthy, I'm just. I would hope that that it wouldn't be used that way. But if if in a in a healthier kind of mechanism, it was this idea of, hey, I just want to understand how my kid processes the game, so that way I can be of support and we can work on things and we can play to his strengths and we can offset his weaknesses. You know, for example, with that learning efficiency mechanism, that doesn't mean you, if you score low on that, it doesn't mean you can't download information. It just means it requires more reps to do so. So it could be a great mechanism where, you know, as a parent, coach, and child work collaboratively, they could say something along the lines of, hey, don't get frustrated. I'm trying as hard as I can. What takes other people five reps to get it takes me 10. And then we can come up with strategies to create those 10 reps without loading up on um, on my body that could increase chance of injury. There's something else that you guys do, and it takes us to a new level and a much more serious level. You guys are also involved 
in military special forces. It's one thing when it's a game. I mean, we can come on the air and talk about, oh, did you see what Phil Mickelson did? But at the end of the day, it's done, it's a game, and we move on. Military special forces, that's a whole new level, and, and the stakes are high. Yeah, that's, that, that is a, a completely different group, and they are remarkable people. And like you said, the decisions and the actions that they make is not about putting a ball through a hoop. I, I, I am grateful and, and for their service and honored to contribute when, when we can and whatever method we can. Can you go into what kind of training is involved with special military forces? Well, again, it's more about providing that information. So what we do is um, we they'll take the test, they get the report, and the same kind of mechanism of a basketball player, a baseball player, a football player, or a special forces person is they're entering an unknown scenario with a lot of moving pieces and chaos. And so how you go about navigating that world. So, you know, you kick a door down open, you enter into a space and you got to quickly scan and look for minute details of relevance. That is interchangeable to, again, a running back who's hit the A gap, who now quickly has to locate that second tier of potential tacklers and those minute details of relevance. So, the focus is really about understanding how people think. And it's interesting because normally when you say that, people go to a more emotional thing like, oh, this person thinks um, internally, this person gets yelled at, this person you can mother ass, this person you need to coddle. But when I say it's how people think, I mean, it's really about watching almost like the matrix, right, where where their brains are digesting and, and evaluating all this information in live time, which is really hard to do in general. And then I think what's super impressive is when you think about the physical tax. See, like most of us who are sitting in front of a computer, um, we're using our brains and we're taking on puzzles, but our body is not being taxed. It's at rest. When you throw even a simple task like running, um, where all you have to do is basically put one foot in front of the other, our cognitive functioning um, is impacted by that, and the research supports that. So now all of a sudden, when you've got people who are running, jumping, diving, turning, twisting, flipping, and everything else in between, and trying to make active decisions, now you've got something that's really remarkable. We are chatting with Scott Goldman, the founder of Athletic Intelligence Measures, and Scott, you know when you go to a car wash, you can get the basic wash, or you can get the wax and the undercarriage and the vacuum. If I go to you, and I've got my 18-year-old, I mean, the NBA draft is this week, so if I'm a team and I bring this 18-year-old to you and I say, I want the works, what does it cost? Yeah, so um, we've actually tested 77 NBA prospects this year for the draft, and we're under contract with six teams um, at this moment. So that's kind of exciting for us. So you mentioned our NFL contracts. Might as well throw out the NBA ones in there too. Um, as far as the service that we provide, we have a couple of different levels of reports. So at the simplest level are for those that are really bought into the analytics. And so we provide a report that can be exported into a database so that people can combine it with other data touch points like wingspan and and um, agility and other kinds of measurables because again 
intelligence being a genetically stable trait, you can put it into and lock it into um, that database. And it actually, some teams that use us love the fact that it is so stable because it does give you a foundational piece. Does that mean I can't improve? Does that mean I can't get better at the things you're measuring? So um, this becomes a, a, a very interesting debate. There are some individuals who really love the theory of neuroplasticity, that we can do brain training, things like, um, you know, there was a, a company uh, a few years ago that did a, a wide, massive um, publicity push about how to keep your brain alert and, and strengthen your brain. And so there's a lot of people who want to make that argument about neuroplasticity. And there's a lot of products out there that rely on that um, philosophical approach. So some say yes. Um, I, I have a little bit more of a conservative belief, um, though it, it is possible. Um, but what you can also do is if you say, you know what, I don't believe in neuroplasticity, and I do believe that intelligence is a genetically stable trait, which is what the largest body of literature um, has um, supporting. What you can what you can do is you can do exactly what we've been doing in classroom settings for hundreds of years, which is, hey, we know that Johnny um, struggles where his letters reverse, you know, or we notice that when it comes to certain tasks like reading, he needs extended time, things like that. So what you do is you come up with, you know, really, and, and it's just, it's easy stuff to implement. So a big thing that I'll do with teams that will bring me on as a consultant or, or the teams that I'm embedded with in a much more greater level of depth is we say, okay, you know, our point guard has a tendency to get lost when it comes to rotating. So what can we do to um, help him out? So a real concrete example, this was with a team I, I worked with for years, where we, we had a point guard who, when it came to rotating 180 degrees and then locating where he was in relation to space, his teammates, his opponents, and everything else, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a cognitive deficiency. He just wasn't good at it. So what we did was is when there was that outlet pass, because he started the offense, he started that attack, let him pre-rotate. Let him be in a different position. That's right. So what yeah. we did was is we coached it up where he would immediately sprint to the to the sidelines, basically, receive the outlet pass, and then only have to rotate 45 degrees to 90 degrees so that the game kind of always stayed in front of him. And those kinds of nuances you don't have to do any brain training for. It's just an easy fix and a slight correction costs you nothing in game player strategy and actually speeds up things like a fast break. If we are in that car wash and I come to you and I want the works, what's it cost? Um, so <laughs> $7.5 million. I mean, I, to be, okay. We, right. we so, really so this is not for you know, the works is not for the guy on the street who wants to get his kid tested. It's uh, that's an interesting number. I didn't, I didn't know it would be that much, but no, I'm just kidding about I that figured. number. Uh, you know, I, I think the truth of the matter is we're more of like a boutique kind of thing than we are a Walmart kind of thing, which is to say we do have set prices, but we also are very flexible in what teams want to use us for and to what depth. So if they just want to report, there is a price point, and that's, you know, in the hundreds of dollars per athlete. 
But then there's also that consulting piece where, like you said, um, the works, if you will. And that's more like a six-figure kind of contract where teams will bring us on board and um, we really do a great in-depth kind of analysis where we're we're with the team for the whole year, attending games, participating in coach meetings. I mean, we're fully engaged. So I think it's a hard question to answer just because – the nature of what's asked of us by by the teams that have hired us really ranges. There are some teams that have their own psychologist already on board, and all they want is the reports. There's some teams where all they just want are the data. They don't even care what the data means. They just want the number because they're doing this, you know, kind of big data analysis number crunch. And then there's some other teams that are really invested in, hey, we want to get better. Scott Goldman, founder of Athletic Intelligence Measures, thank you so much for joining us. We've learned a lot. No, thank you. It's really been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed the conversation. Takeaways this week. I'm impressed on how you can train an athlete or anybody for that matter when you have to make a split second decision. And Scott says that they're well-equipped to do something like this, especially with the special military forces. I'm impressed with the number of teams that are catching on. That it's not just about, well, the stopwatch and how high does he jump. Remember the old 5-2 guys? We still have baseball folks, some of the older schools, still fighting analytics. Regular analytics that'll tell you the trends or look at some different uh, markers. Imagine the heads exploding when you say, well, we'd like to look at some other things to determine who do we want to draft. These are multi, multi multi-million dollar investments. And if you get one wrong, sorry, Greg Oden over Kevin Durant, something like that. If you get it wrong, it sets your franchise back years. You just can't afford to get it wrong, Bar. And if you're not using every tool available, then you're just setting yourself up for failure. Why not utilize something like this? At least you can track and see if down the road they were accurate. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week, and you've got the number. I do. 133. We're talking triple digits. 133. The number of Twitter followers at Big Bar. But as we say in all walks of life, Bar, it's not the total number. Though you're climbing, that's at Big Bar Sports, everybody. Let's see if we can get this up at 250. I want to almost double. 250 by the next show. Let's see how many people actually go there. But who's following you, Michael Bar? You were telling me you know who. Alex Bowman is one of the followers, the NASCAR driver. In uh, in uh, the Elite Series in NASCAR, he's following me. See, that's what I'm saying. It's not about the number. It's not about the total. It's about the who. Alex Bowman. I've never heard of Alex Bowman, but you, in your world <laughs> of NASCAR, that's exciting. Alex Bowman is following you. Where are the Francis and the rest of the NASCAR? Where's the rest of the NASCAR world? Let's get that big bar sports. Everybody out there. Come on, gang. Help me out. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I got another number just in case. 285 million. 285 million. World Cup view? What do we got? I don't know. What do we got? I have no idea. <laughs> they did this story about the world's 10 highest paid athletes. Uh-huh. Collectively, they made over a billion dollars in the past year, but we're taking for this year Floyd Mayweather, number one on the list, 285 million in earnings. Yeah, but you know what was interesting about this year's list? Let's see if you get it. What was the most interesting point about this year's list, Bar? 
I would say... And it was like Forbes 100 highest earning or 50, whatever it is. Right. No is women. It? Oh. Zero. See. Nada. Zero. No women. I, mean, I, I assume it's, you know, Serena took some time off being pregnant and having her child. Um, Maria Sharapova was suspended, but still. Yeah, but we got to do something about Zippo. that. Zippo. We can't Nada. have that. Come on. Improve. Yeah. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. Big Bar, and I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.